All right, if you would, uh, open your Bible or your worship guide to the Scripture passage for today. We're doing this series going through the first three chapters of the Bible, uh, with first first part of the book of Genesis, which is the first part of the... It's many beginnings, so it's beginning of the book of Genesis. It's also the beginning of the first five books of the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. It's also the beginning of the whole Bible. It also tells the story of the beginning of the world. And so um, this little series we're doing is called Beginnings. And so I'll tell you what, let's read our passage for today, and then we will uh, pray and then get into it. If you would, stand. Genesis 1, 1 through 13. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault, separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. So God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place. Let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land. And he gathered the waters and he called them seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees and the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants, seed-bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. pray that you would illuminate it for us. It's a work of your Holy Spirit. Would you light it up? Help us to see what it means and why it matters. I pray that it would cause us to look to Jesus as our Savior uh, in a refreshing and new way. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right, so what I want to do here is I just want to do a very quick, fast-forwarded recap, sort of like at the beginning of a a TV show series last time on beginnings, Genesis 1 through 3, and get us caught up to where we are, because today we're really starting in verse 3. So here's what we have learned so far. First, we have learned that this creation story... 
what we what we have here in Genesis 1, and even Genesis 1 through 3 as a whole, this whole introductory passage to the Scriptures. We've learned that it is... Uh, it's a story that's fundamentally about God. It's His story. He is the focus. He is the subject. He, it's, it's Him. It's all about Him. Um, this is, although we are included in this story as human beings, this is not primarily, we're not the centerpiece. God is the centerpiece. Also, while this story might have something to say, uh, toward our contemporary, modern, scientific curiosities. Uh, this is not a science book story. Uh, this is a Bible story. Uh, this, while this story has things to say to our cultural moment and the culture wars we get caught up in, uh, this is not a culture war manual story. This is God's story. So this affects the way that we read it. So many things in our culture. So many things uh, that many of us, especially if you've grown up in church like I have, have this, these texts have become the battleground for arguments about science and faith and uh, culture wars and, and fringe theories. and all. Uh, there's a time and a place for those sorts of things, but that's not what this text is for. So we don't want to major on any of those things. This text doesn't answer all of our scientific questions. I'd argue that it answers the most important ones, uh, but it's it's not meant to merely um, gratify our curiosity, even when our curiosity is noble. It doesn't tell the whole story uh, of the beginning of things. It tells the whole story of the beginning of things that we need to know to help us look to God for who he is and to trust Jesus. So that's our focus. Next is that we see um, that God, the main subject here, he created the universe out of nothing. And this is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, If you get our weekly email with a little devotional in it, this was what we talked about this week. It's not that the Father created things and then used the Spirit sort of, and then later the Son comes along as Jesus. No, no. God does everything as Father, Son, and Spirit together. So we see God, the whole Trinity, acting and working in this creation. Also, we see that verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we, we learned that this is, that one sentence is the whole story of where everything came from. In the beginning, that's not a moment, but that's a period of time. could be very short, uh, or it could be billions of years. We, we don't know. But during that time, the time before, whatever that means, the beginning, uh, before the story actually started, preface, if you will, uh, that's when God created the heavens and the earth. That doesn't mean like heaven where uh, people go when they die and there's angels. No, no. Or that doesn't mean earth like planet earth. That, although, although it would include those things, heavens and the earth is a, is a idiom. It's a, Hebrew phrase, which means like top to bottom, everything there is. So in the time before, God created everything there is. And that right there, if you want to talk about the creation of the universe, there's a story. Uh, So everything we get after that is framed with a particular purpose. And we we learn this. We learn that this uh, purpose is directing our, uh, as part of God's story, to help us to it zooms in to the 
creation or preparation or making of a particular place, the land. When we see in our Bibles, our English Bibles, where it talks about earth, not heavens and the earth, but just earth, uh, in English that can mean multiple things. Primarily it means like the planet. But another English meaning is happens to be the primary Hebrew meaning where this comes from, which is like the ground beneath your feet. Or even if we surveyed the whole Hebrew Bible, um, the um, uh, not just the ground beneath my feet, but the ground as a whole. Like we see in verse 10, it says that God called the dry ground land. It's the same word as earth in the Hebrew era. So, And then if we look all throughout the book of Genesis, when it talks about the land, the Hebrew word eris, it's talking about a particular land, uh, the land that God promised to Abraham, uh, the promised land. So what we've learned so far is in verse 1, we get this big picture. Uh, God created everything. And out of nothing, and the story is about him. And then we get this zooming in to the land uh, with the emphasis on the promised land, and it says that it was formless and empty. That doesn't mean like a primordial chaotic abyss. It means like it was like a desert, It was, and, and it was covered with water. The land didn't have form because it was water. Water, water. water moves. And it was empty. It was like a desert. There's no food growing out in the middle of the ocean, at least not that we can eat and then the holy spirit it says is hovering over the waters what waters the waters of primordial chaos no the waters that cover the land and he's hovering and if we go through the bible and look at this image of hovering what we see is the way that this is used particularly in reference to god the way it is used is to describe a a, a mother bird hovering over her young over her baby spreading her wings over her nest or even fluttering her wings in order to stir them up into flight that's the image in hebrew and we talked about how this first image is how amazing is it that this second time in the scriptures that god is mentioned uh he he, he is mentioned with this feminine imagery that doesn't quite always fit our culture it's not of our culture, not all of our cultures, but it's what the Bible teaches. And this God image of a mother bird over the land, this is packed with meaning. We see this um, repeated throughout the scriptures. We see that in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about God like an eagle covering over his people with his wings, like like, like a mother bird. We see in Isaiah and Jeremiah images of God, uh, the same, mother bird covering over his people. We see in the book of Ruth, uh, Boaz tells Ruth, he says, you have put yourself under the wings of God, saying you have come into his land to become a part of his people, his brood. Uh, we see David writing in Psalm 57, talking about finding shelter under the shadow, under the under the wings, under the hovering of the Almighty. And we see uh, Jesus himself in, in, in his own prayer saying, Oh, Jerusalem, how I wish to gather you under my wings. Same image. We see the Holy Spirit uh, in, 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 the, in the miraculous uh, 
virgin conception of Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary. Same language coming upon her, that image of a mother bird stirring up life. And then we see, this is like my favorite one, in Jesus' own baptism, when he comes up out of the waters, when the waters part, either whether if, if he was sprinkled, parting over his head, or if he was immersed, parting as he came out, the waters part, and here, here he comes, the Holy Spirit as a bird. So this is packed imagery, and we've, we have covered this. So that's verses 1 and 2. Uh, in the time before, called the beginning, God, the main character of the story, he created everything there is, and now we're going to zoom in to a particular land over which the Holy Spirit was like a mother bird uh, hovering to stir up life, hovering in order to give care. And by the way, that land was covered with water. It was a barren waste. It was formless and empty. That's where we are. Okay. And then we get to these first three days that are mentioned. Three days out of seven. And we get, uh, in day one, we get this thing about let there be light. In day two, we get this thing, let there, the expanse or the vault of the waters separate. And in day three, uh, we get uh, the water in the sky and the water on the land, and then we see the land bearing fruit. So here's the big question for today. Uh, what is God, the main subject of the story, what is he doing and what is he trying to communicate to us with this account of these first three days, these first three creation days, if you will? What is the point? What are we supposed to take away from this? What does all of this mean? That's the question for today. And as I've been thinking about and wrestling with this question as we're preparing for this time, a verse in Isaiah comes to mind. I'd love to read it for you. It's Isaiah 45:18. It says this. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens. He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth. There it is, Eris, the earth, the land. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. And he said, I am the Lord and there is no other. This verse stands out to me because it, it talks about, you know, this creation story. God created the heavens. He fashioned and made the earth. There you get it, heavens and earth. It talks about how God is the main subject. He is God. Uh, there's no one like him. Uh, he's the main character. And then it hits this theme. God did not create the earth to be empty. But he created it to be, he formed it to be filled, to be inhabited. I bring up that verse because I believe that it gives us the answer to the question, what are these first three days about? Um, here in two weeks, we'll ask, what are these next three days about? In between, next week, um, our friend Eric Costa is going to come preach for us. We'll have a little break from this. but So we're taking these Days and sections. Days one through three, what are they about? Then four through six, what are they about? And then we'll hit day seven. But what are these first three days about? Well, letting the scriptures interpret the scripture, uh, letting the voice of Isaiah help us to understand this. And as we look at this, we see that these first three days are about a work of preparation. God is preparing the land. 
And he prepares the land by giving it two things, form and function. He gives it form, like Isaiah said. He did not uh, create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. We almost see two things. God's creating and then coming back and forming what he created. I wonder if Isaiah was looking back at, in the beginning, God created, and then he said, let there be light, and so on. So these days, these first three days, what is God doing? He is forming the land. That's a work of preparation. And any, you can ask anybody who works or dabbles in the field of design, any graphic designer, um, maybe we can ask Janine, landscape architect, uh, you can ask somebody who builds, designs buildings, uh, any designer, uh, the basic foundational tenets of design are form, and then what comes with form, function. Good form always uh, serves function, form and function. I remember my brother-in-law, who's an architect, telling me that those were the most, uh, how did he say it? He said, you know, when it comes to architecture, I'm kind of a form follows function kind of guy. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, isn't that what all architecture should be? And he's like, yeah, you'd think so. <laughs> and that's what it is, form and function. That's what God's doing in this text. He's preparing the land by giving it form, which comes with function. I think about um, my mom really likes to watch and my in-laws, they'd like it, they'd like it too. Uh, those TV shows, like where you, somebody renovates a house, there's a billion of them. And they're all kind of the same. They're, they go in, somebody, they, they have a house that they don't like, it doesn't serve their needs, it's too small, or it's too weird, or whatever. And then some people come in, and then they real, you know, there's like a montage, and they knock out a wall, and then they rebuild, and, and then they redesign it and reform it to serve their family's needs. Maybe they make the kitchen bigger because they want to add a dining area. Maybe they want to take the kids' room and put it in a Murphy bed so it can double as a playroom. Uh, maybe they want to, uh, you know, give it air conditioning or whatever. They, they want to form the space so it will serve its functional purpose. This is exactly what's going on here in this text. So... Let me show you. Let's just go through it. First three days. Oh, by the way, I, 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 that image of the mother bird. Um, somebody, somebody pointed out this week that like like how a, a, a mother bird uh, does the work of uh, well, first of all, gives birth to her babies and then feeds them. That's like a forming. Uh, and then also teaches them things, like teaches them how to fly, stirs them up into flight, get, gets them out of the nest. That's functional. So that's just kind of a cool thing. We, this work of preparation is not separated from the Holy Spirit's presence over the land. And we'll get back to that. It's important. Okay, so first three days. Day one, verses three through five. God sep- uh Oh, by the way, uh, and then we'll, we'll see in each of these. Well, never mind. Day one, verses three through five. Uh, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated it from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
By the way, there's been much conjecture over whether these are like literal days, like 24 hours, or whether these are like spans, day, ages, or whether they're literal days separated by ages. And you know, um, we, I don't know. Uh, there are, are good Bible believing, wonderful gospel people who are way smart on various sides of this issue. But what I do know is the text is not concerned so much with satisfying our curiosity there. For the sake of the text and the story that it's telling, these are days. Now, I will tell you, I personally believe they're 24-hour consecutive days because that seems to be the plainest meaning of the text. The Hebrew word for day is yom, and uh, all throughout the Hebrew Bible, do you know what it means? One day. Uh, so I tend to think, I, I don't see a reason This is just a side note, footnote, why we need to make these long ages. Um, You know, maybe I think sometimes we, we, some people that that helps to figure out how is it that the earth seems to be billions of years old. Well, this seems to be really a compact story. I'm not as concerned with that because verse 1 says in the beginning, the time before God created the heavens and the earth. So if the earth is billions of years old, I'm not a scientist, I don't know. But if it is, uh, I'm sure that God created it that way in the beginning. But that doesn't seem to be what these verses are about. Just as a side note, and if you're curious about that, we can have coffee and we can just get all up in it and talk about it. But let's get, let's, I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, let's get back to the story. Day, day one, what's happening here? Well, God is forming and bringing out function. So we see that. He says, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated it from the darkness. Throughout church history, people have asked, where does this light come from? Because here in day one, we have light. And then in day four, we get the sun. And there's been much conjecture and fighting. And How does that work? Well, I believe the answer is right here in the text. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, everything there is. And that would include the sun. So where does this light come from? Well, it probably came from the sun. Well, what's going on in day number four then? Well, we'll get to that in two weeks. But for now, you know, where the light comes from is not the main point of this text. It's not where the author is leading us. What the author leads us to is to see that God, in forming on day one, he does two things. He separates the light from the darkness, and then he names day and night. God separates. That's forming. That's uh, situating. Uh, the, the, the day and the night are now two different things. Light and dark, there's a partition there. He's, he's going into the house and rearranging the, the architecture there, uh, if you will, to, on that metaphor. So he, and, and then he names. And naming highlights function. What is this for? What is this all about? So on day one, God speaks and there's light. Maybe that was the moment the sun came. We, we don't know. We just know he speaks and there's light. And then he, on his divine authority, he separates light from dark. They're no longer the same thing. We're not mixed up here. And then he names the light day and the dark night. Now, what is God doing here? This forming, 
and the function of naming. What is this all about? Well, if the functional piece of this is naming day and night, that gives us a clue. What God is doing here is starting the clock. God is bringing time, the passing of time more specifically, into the story. He starts the clock. Let there be light. This is now called day, and this other thing is called night. And and by the way, uh, and it ends with one day. Now there, and you're here in the worship guide in, in the NIV, and a lot of English translations say the first day, and then they go on the second day, the third day, the fourth day. Well, in the Hebrew text, it just says day, like a day, like one day. So just that's kind of cool. Anyway, what is this about? Well, God is starting the clock. Before we had an unspecified amount of time in the beginning. Now we have hit the stopwatch. The great commentator said in his commentary on Genesis, he says the beginning, the great commentator named Derek Kidner says in his Genesis commentary, he says, the beginning is pregnant with the end. That's kind of a cool literary idea. Well, here we see, once God starts the clock, the first, uh, just to kind of push that metaphor a little further, the first labor pains, if you will, the first contractions. The, the, the beginning is pregnant with the end. Now we see, now the clock starts. Because we're going to, eventually the end is going to come. Uh, there's a great show on the BBC, if you're into that, called Lark Rise to Candleford. It's family friendly. Becca and I watched it, I guess, last year. It's a British show, and it's a, it's a story about two little small towns, Lark Rise and Candleford in 19th century uh, rural England. Cool little show. Well, in the show, one of the episodes, a clockmaker comes to Candleford, and he puts a clock in the tower in the middle of town. And he tells one of the main characters uh, named Laura, they become friends, and he tells her about his job. He goes from town to town, building and then starting clocks. And he says to her, uh, he's talking about his work, he says, you watch, this clock is going to change everything. Because before, this town didn't have one. And after I leave, this town will have a clock. And before, people just sort of... uh are around here. But once that clock starts, everybody's going somewhere. That's kind of a cool thing. Now, this story is now going somewhere. That's what God's doing. He's instituting time. And he says it's good. This is a good thing. Well, why is it good? You know, God doesn't call every single thing that he does in these uh, in these these you know seven days good. He, he doesn't say that, but he says it here. Why is time good? Well, we'll get to it. Okay, next, next day, what does he do? It says he separates the water from water. Let's, let's see, we got verse 6. It says, God said, let there be a vault. Or, uh, if you're using, uh, I'm using the older NIV text in my Bible, it says expanse. Uh, different translations will translate it different ways, but let there be a vault, let there be an expanse between the waters and separate water from water. Well, what's that about? Well, here it is. So God made the vault or the expanse, and he separated the water under from the water above. 
And um, by the way, what's this vault or expanse about? Well, it tells us. It says that God called the vault or the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So here in the second day, what God does, remember the whole land is covered with water. Uh, God separates, like he separated day and night. The, the water below from the water above. And in between, there's a, a expanse, a space, or like it says here, a vault. Uh, well, what's that about? It seems like vault and expanse are different things. Well, in some ancient Near East creation stories, uh, the idea was that the sky was solid and that there was an above and below. And so, you know, every Bible translation includes interpretation. There's no such thing as an unbiased translation. And maybe, you know, some translations say vault because maybe they're thinking about, oh, that's sort of an ancient Near East thing, this idea of a vaulted sky. Um, Probably not that, uh, because it tells us in the text what it is, the, the sky. And, you know, we look at the, the sky, maybe in the ancient areas they thought it was solid, but but you know what? It's it's not. It's uh, it's air. And in this space of sky, uh, it'll later say in the next, um, in two weeks we'll see it, that, that, that expanse, that sky place, that's where he put the stars and the sun and the moon. So what is this talking about? What is this expanse? This, well, it's, it's exactly what it says. It's the sky. So what does God do? He, he takes the waters below and he separates the waters above and in between them we have the sky. Well, what are the waters above? Well, the most obvious guess would be the clouds. That's where water is above us. So here God has started the clock and now he's doing something different. He gives the form bringing in the clouds, separating it from the water below, and then he makes it functional. We do know uh, that in, you know, ancient Near East anthropology aside, um, I mean, well, that's important, but so included in that, uh, in the ancient Near East, when people thought about the weather, they thought the sky made the weather. But we... Unlike the, that hard vault thing, we see this also reflected in the scriptures. We see in the scriptures that um, the, the sky and the clouds were, people would look to them to read what was going on in the weather. There's a story about the prophet Elijah, Elijah telling uh, King Ahab there had been a super crazy drought. He tells Ahab, it's going to rain, you see. And Ahab's like, no, it's not. Look at the sky. And then Elijah goes and prays and tells his servant, go out and look at the sky and tell me if you find a cloud. And he sends him out and then he comes back and he says, I see a cloud, a little tiny cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, see, it's going to rain. Now, Elijah wasn't talking like my eighth grade science teacher where we're learning about how cumulus clouds hold water. No, Elijah was using his ancient Near East worldview. How do we read the weather? We read the sky and the clouds. You know, even, you know, a red sky at night, sailor's delight, a red sky in the morning, something about a warning. Well, if day one, the function is starting the clock time, day two, the function, what God is doing is he is bringing weather into the picture. God is bringing weather. So day one, we have time. 
Day two, we have weather. Okay, Charlie, keep moving. Guys, I'm not going to keep you forever like I did last week. We're just going to keep going. Uh, day three, what does God do? Well, the author follows the same pattern. There's a separation, and then there's a naming. It says that he separates, well, I'll just read it, verse 9. It says that he uh, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land. Or in some translations, God called the earth the land or land. And then he gathered the waters and he called them seas. And he saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation. Notice that it doesn't say God produced. God has done all these other things. God said, let there be light. God said, water separate, all that stuff. Now it says, let the land produce. That's interesting. Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees uh, that bear fruit with seed in it. Uh, what's the, we got seeds here. What is this? According to the various kinds, the land produced vegetation, produced uh, seed-bearing according to their kinds, trees with fruit with seed in it. Here, here we go again. According to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Evening and the morning, uh, a day, the third day. So what is God doing here? Well, he separates... Many names. He, he separates the water and dry ground comes up. And he names the dry ground land or the land. And he calls the water seas or I guess the seas. And then he says, let the land produce vegetation. And by the way, this vegetation, I'm going to say it several times, includes seeds and fruit. So on day one, God starts the clock. We have time. On day two, God brings in the clouds. We have weather. And here on day three, you know, this is kind of a special one. He says that he separated the waters and the dry land appeared. We, we see this image throughout Scripture. We see that when the people of Israel left Egypt, how did they do it? Well, God separated the waters and dry land appeared in the Red Sea. We see it there. You know where else we see it? We see it in baptism, where the waters separate over somebody's head. Whether they're immersed or sprinkled, the waters separate, and then something new comes up. Something that's meant to bear fruit comes up, the life of a new believer. I wonder if the Israelites who read this originally, as Moses wrote it, in between Egypt and Canaan, I wonder if they thought back to how every single year back in Egypt, the Nile would flood and cover the land, and then over time, it would separate, the land would come up, and then boom, vegetation. What's God doing here on day three? Well, the form is he's giving the people a place to live, And the function is he is making that place to live bear fruit. So we have time. We have weather. Now we have um, a a home. And we have food. (laughs) It's pretty simple what God's doing here. He's preparing the place for who? For people to live in. He's making a home. God has prepared a context, time and place for a story that he starts the clock on. 
And that time and place are meant to be occupied by people who live as characters in the story. A true story, but a story nonetheless. Listen back to what we read in Isaiah, Isaiah 45. This is what the Lord said. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. other. I have spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. And I have not said to who? To Jacob's descendants. It's the people of Israel. I didn't say to them, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth and I declare what is right. What is God doing in these three days? He's doing a work of preparation. A preparation for whom? Well, Isaiah tells us. For his people. Remember, Moses wrote this for the people in between leaving Egypt and headed to Canaan. And here we have the story of how God prepared their home, prepared their land so that they could occupy it. And they can occupy it in their time. They can live in it and let it be a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And most importantly, it was a land that existed under the wings of God. Which is why Boaz said to the immigrant Ruth, who came from Moab, that moved to the land and became one of the people, why he said to her, I see that you have put yourself under God's wings. Because here in Genesis 1 through 13, we have the Holy Spirit spreading his wings over a land, bringing, a starting the clock on a story, um, forming in order to for people to inhabit, providing for them so that people can come in. What we have here at the beginning of Scripture looks forward to what we see at the end of Scripture where we hear the declaration that, Behold, the dwelling place of people is with God. So this preparation that we have here, God is preparing a home for his people, but not just a home, a temple, a sanctuary, where people can live, provided for in their time and place, and covered by the Holy Spirit. What are these first three days about? Do we want to get in debates about day-age theory? Yeah, sure, over coffee as friends. But that's not what this is about. What this is about is God's eternal plan of salvation to call a people to himself and then to dwell with them as their father. So, that's what we see right here at the beginning of the Bible. Now, just as the Israelites were called to follow God into inhabiting this promised land that God had prepared for them, that God had parted the waters in order to lead them to, that God kept for them as a home, you and I today are called to the very same thing. No, we're not called to pack up and to move to the Holy Land. No. We are called to put ourselves under, to join with, to cling to the one that all of these land-based promises were 
preparing us for, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Think about it this way. Just as the Israelites followed God through the parted waters of the Red Sea to get to the promised land, today we follow God through the parted waters of baptism in order to get to the life that he has prepared for us in the presence of his Holy Spirit. Do you see it? It says in the book of Acts, Paul, the apostle, is telling some Athenian philosophers about who God is. Uh, he's, you know, there's this place, there's a bunch of idols, and he's walking around, and he finds a, an idol that says to the unknown God, which was like the Athenians' way of just covering their bases. In case there's a God out there we haven't honored yet. And he goes to the Areopagus or Mars Hill. That was the philosophy school where people debated about things. Um, and he starts to tell the story of his God, his philosophy, which is the God, the Hebrew God, the God of the Bible, his philosophy, which is life according to the gospel of Jesus. And he says this to the, to the Athenian philosophers. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. Sound familiar? The Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives uh, all people life and breath and everything else. But from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times and the places of where they should live. And God did this so that men would seek him, men and women, people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, because he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Folks, the Apostle Paul, talking to Athens, takes this creation story, and he turns it to the people around him. And he says, the God who made heaven and earth... The God who dwells in a temple that wasn't made by human hands. The temple that he created. He determined the time that you're going to live. And he determined the place you're going to live for a purpose. You have a function. And it's to reach out for God and to find him because he can be found in Christ. Just as Paul took this creation story and turned it on Athens, I believe the Lord takes this story and turns it on us. And as we read this, the questions are not, was it a day age or a literal day? Was there a water canopy? Was there a vault? How did this happen? My biology teacher said this. I'm worried about this. Those things we could talk about over coffee. But the main character of the story and the form and the function of this story in which we live is that God is calling you to put yourself under his wings, to live in his land, reaching out for his man, Jesus Christ, and being kept by him. That's the gospel. Let's pray.